Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees and on each episode I investigate a different, weird and wonderful subject. And for this episode I thought we would look at a particularly eerie Victorian ghost story which involves a strange spectre in the sublime Welsh landscape. Some eerie death omens which, if we believe folklore, foretell of doom for those who see them. And, if that wasn't enough, an appearance from a a regular character on this podcast, none other than the Evil One himself. And this is a story I particularly like because it does combine two of my passions. It combines Welsh ghost stories, of course, something I've written about extensively, and, and it's not very often I can say this, it combines it with another subject I've spent a heck of a lot of time studying, and that is art history. And there are not many stories that combine ghosts with art history. And the reason I've decided to tell you this story now is because we are now in February, Valentine's Day is looming, and the title of this story is a Wild Night by the Romantic Lakes. Yes, A Wild Night by the Romantic Lakes. And I'll be honest, that is quite a tenuous link to Valentine's Day because the only real connection is the word romantic, which in this sense refers to romantic as in the, the movement. This is more Lord Byron romantic than anything to do with, with love hearts and cupids. But nevertheless, it's got the word romantic in it. That's good enough for me. And it certainly is a wild night in this story. But anyway, let's let's get on with the tale and let me explain exactly where this ghost story comes from. Now, as mentioned, this is a ghost story I found in the archives. And it's a story I originally published in my collection of Victorian ghost stories called Ghosts of Wales accounts from the Victorian archives and all of the stories I included in that were gathered from old newspapers and periodicals and and magazines and things which had been published in the 19th century. Many of these stories had gone unseen since, well, since they were first published well over, you know, 100, 150 years ago. And that is the case with this story. But this one is quite unique. I've spoken about a few of these Victorian ghost stories now over the last uh, year or whatever it is I've been doing this podcast for. And with this one, what makes it quite unique is that it is a first-hand account which was written by somebody who then submitted it to the paper to be published. So this isn't a journalist going out and interviewing people and sort of writing about things in in a secondhand way. This is very much one person's personal experience. And what makes it more interesting again for me in particular with my my passion for the for the arts as I'm sure you've picked up on Uh, again over the year or so I've been doing this podcast but it was written by a man whose name was published as W.G. Shrubsole. Now the name W.G. Shrubsole might not mean much to many people. It didn't mean a great deal to me when I found it but 
after doing a little bit of detective work, because it's, it's quite a unique name. There can't be that many people with the initials WG and the surname Shrubsole who were hanging around Wales at this particular time in this particular place. And I discovered there was a Victorian landscape painter of some renown. I mean, he's not, he's not Turner or anything, but someone who didn't do too badly for themselves. And their name was William George Shrubsole. So that fits very nicely with the name that was included. He was in Wales at the time. We know this. He wrote of his time here and he painted Wales. <laughs> That's the best evidence. We've got the paintings of his time here. And while this letter does not specifically say he was the painter, William George Shrubsole, I am sure, as will become apparent to you as I tell you this ghost story, that this is clearly a man with a keen eye for, again, the, the sublime beauty of what he was looking at, to that romantic, that romantic scene he was capturing in his words, in this ghost story, and in those paintings. So, as far as I am concerned, and I, I cannot prove this conclusively, but as far as I am concerned, this account was written by the Victorian landscape painter William George Shrubsole. And whether you agree or disagree with me, just, just go, with, go with it for the sake of this podcast and we can argue about it afterwards if you think otherwise. Now, Shrubsole was known to have relocated to Bangor in the north of Wales in the 1870s. And the opening paragraph of his letter of this, this ghost story... And again, to reiterate what I was saying about, I think his, his choice of words does show that this is a man looking to capture the, the, the rugged beauty of the place. He said, I had been staying during the autumn of 18-something at a cottage situated on the shores of the most romantic lakes in Wales. I grew so charmed with the place that I prolonged my stay until the beginning of December, and was amply rewarded by the wild beauty of effect which the scenery around ever presented. As I said, this is certainly a man who knows how to present the romantic in, certainly in words, and I think in on canvas as well. Now, as he wrote, he extended his stay. He, he was loving it in Wales so much, he extended his stay. Little did he realise, however that not only would he see more of this, this country's wild beauty by doing so, he would also see something of a more otherworldly nature as a result. It was towards the end of his visit, and again, I'll quote, because I, I think he does such a wonderful, a wonderful job of just, it, it, his words are so evocative in setting the scene that there's no point me rewording them. I might as well just quote him again. And on the night this, this supernatural incident occurred, he tells us that on a moonlight night, I became the observer of what to me at the time seemed a strange, but by no means supernatural manifestation. It was only by the light of what I afterwards heard that my experience assumed the complexion of the supernatural. And as at the time I was unexcited in mind and not in expectation of any manifestation from another world, I am plunged in difficulties whenever I attempt 
to account for it by natural causes. Now, this is a very popular theme with these these olden ghost stories. If you've heard any of my previous ones or read any of my previous ones, you'll know that people like to stress they are not mad, they're not drunk, there's no history of mental illness in their family, their faculties are fine. The Victorians like to remind us of this. There is nothing wrong with them, but it's that big, but I've got something strange to tell you. He also tells us that he did not realize what was happening was supernatural until afterwards, which would explain why during the events he might have acted perfectly normal. It wasn't until he reflected that it dawned upon him that maybe that was a little bit weird. And just to wrap up that little bit about him stressing that he really, really isn't mad, he tells us that had my mind been in a state of highly wrought tension, I could easily account for the vision, so it's a vision that we're dealing with, by relegating it to that class of sensory illusions to which we will know mankind is susceptible, and of which I myself have, on more than one occasion, very striking examples. Oh, the more he protests, the less we believe him, isn't it? It's a bit like Scrooge in A Christmas Carol, where when he, when he first sees Jacob Marley and he says, ah, you may be an undigested bit of beef, a, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, and, and so on and so forth. But as we've established, he is about to tell us a story of the time he saw some kind of vision by the Romantic Lakes in Wales and he has stressed and he has stressed and he has stressed that his brain was in perfect working order at the time. Now, back to that fateful night and back to Shrubsoul's words. In his own words, he tells us that one evening after supper, at the close of a very uneventful day, I took a walk as far as the end of the lake and back. This was a very ordinary thing for me to do and on the occasion in question, I lit my pipe and with a stout stick in my hand, wended my way along the side of the lake, my only companion being a large dog belonging to the house. Shrebsel, smoking his pipe with the dog, went for a walk along the lake. It was blowing up for a wild night, always a good sign for a ghost story. The wind was blowing up for a wild night and now and again a gust swept down from the hollows of the hills with a violence that made me pause in my walk and steady myself and caused the surface of the lake to be whipped into temporary commotion. The moon shone fitfully through the driving clouds and ever and again there came a sowing from the towering crags around, strangely wild and human, as if the spirit of the wind were mourning amongst them. See, there's no ghosts yet, and it already sounds like the perfect gothic ghost story. He's already talking in those words, but nevertheless, let's carry on. At last, I reached the end of the lake, and giving a long look behind the dark, dreary moorland, turned to retrace my steps towards the cottage. For some time, I made rapid progress homeward, noting the wonderful way in which the patches of moonlight chased each other up the side of a steep mountain 
on the opposite side of the lake until I was nearly halfway back to the cottage. At this spot, the road formerly went round a point of land jutting into the lake, covered with huge masses of rock piled high one above another. When I reached this place, the moon became densely overcast with clouds and it suddenly grew so dark I could scarcely see the wall on each side of the road. I'm sure you can also feel the tension is being racked up now. He went for his walk, he set the scene, there were spirits blowing in the air. But now, a strange darkness has descended on him in this particular spot jutting into the lake. It was there that, he tells us, the dog, some few yards in advance, and I called him, intending to stop for a minute in order to fill and light my pipe, hoping, too, that the clouds would soon break again. A clever idea, really. I mean, if you can't, if you can't see where you're going, you might as well stop for a break, smoke your pipe, and hope the moon sorts itself out, hope those clouds move, and you can see again. But the dog, instead of returning my call, gave a short howl, which, a few moments later, I heard him repeat at a greater distance. So it was that dark, he could not even see the dog in front of him. The dog was howling in the distance somewhere. He was evidently making for home as fast as possible. So the dog wasn't just ahead of him somewhere, the dog was running away from him somewhere. Nevertheless, Shrubsole concluded that he must have trodden on something or hurt or cut his foot. So he wasn't spooked. He was, he was injured rather than terrified of a ghost. As for Shrubsole, he was more concerned about his smoking. Leaning against the wall, I struck a match and shielding it with my body and hands from the wind, succeeded in lighting my pipe. And then again, the moon began to break through the clouds and I paused for a few seconds to watch the light stealing across the water. Again, a wonderful imaged picture in, in your mind, going back to these gothic ghost stories, but of the, the moon and no other illumination for miles around on that lonely walk home, just the moon lighting up that vast romantic Welsh lake. Suddenly, at a few yards distance, I saw the figure of an old man, his hair flying in the wind, and he stooped forward to lean upon the handle of a spade. I was started, for the old fellow came so suddenly into view that it seemed as if he must have dropped there from the clouds. This, this old fellow had appeared from nowhere. And so Shrubsoul did what anyone would do under the circumstances. He attempted to start a conversation. I hailed him with a shout of, A wild night, this. <laughs> Not a bad way to start a conversation, I guess, if in, in the middle of the night when, when someone appears from nowhere. A wild night, this. But anyway, the old man gave no reply, but slowly turned his face up towards mine. So this old man was stooped over, but now he slowly lifted his head and his eyes, which looked at Shrubsole. The moon gleamed out brightly for an instant, and I saw a pair of hollow, 
sunken eyes set in a face so full of a kind of weary despair, of a, a hungry disappointment, that I was shocked. And for a moment, I had a slight feeling that there was something... Ah, now notice here, actually, uh, this is me butting in <laughs> quickly into, into his trail of thought, but after telling us at the start that it was only afterwards he thought there was something weird going on, we get an inkling here when that old man looks at him, he definitely thinks there's something strange about his appearance. But anyway, back to, back to the narrative. What could he be doing there, he thought. But I had no time to lose. It was getting late. So, with a good night shouted in the local vernacular, he tells us. I, I mean, I don't know if he means as, as in he shouted it in Welsh, as in North Star. But anyway, he shouted good night in the local vernacular and turned towards home once more. A few paces further on, I looked back, but the old fellow was gone had probably moved into the shadow of or behind some rocks. Put in my best foot foremost, I soon reached the cottage and found the kitchen tenanted by three or four people from neighbouring farms. As he walked in, Dear me, mister, said the good woman. We have been quite anxious about you, sir, since Toss came in without you. Something seemed to have frightened him. Now, I, sh I should explain here, because this isn't mentioned earlier in the story. Toss, which is spelled T-O-S, just, just the one S. T-O-S is the name of the dog. Maybe that was a, a, a common name for dogs back then. But since Toss came in without you, something seemed to have frightened him. To which Shrubsoul replies, Oh, I am all right. I replied with a laugh. Can you tell me? who the old fellow is I saw along the shore of the lake with a spade. And he tells us that I shall not forget the effect of my simple query. Every eye turned on me with a ghastly stare. The men turned pale and the woman sank into a chair. One of the men turned to another and in accents that seemed dry and forced said, he has seen the digger of 40. And after discovering that he had seen the digger, their tongues were suddenly loosened in that room. And this flood of Welsh language words came out. And in vain, he tried to understand what they were saying, but he failed. I could only catch a word here and there. But they soon departed after many pitying glances at me and much ominous shaking of heads. Then I learnt the cause of this commotion. I had seen a ghost. Now, I'm sure we, we all expected that big reveal because, well, <laughs> because I started this episode by telling you this is a ghost story. But at this point, the penny drops. I had seen a ghost. The figure of the old man was that of one who had died several years back. During his lifetime, he had been remarkable for the punery of his habits and was said to have, on more than one occasion, taken the most relentless advantage of people in monetary difficulties. Now, it, it, this is a coincidence, actually. This is me butting in again. But when I spoke of Scrooge earlier, 
th- th- this man is in fact described as something of a real life Scrooge, a real life North Walian Scrooge. And it is said that his greedy and his miserly habits became all encompassing. It, it, it took over his life. This greed was so strong and it assumed the form of a hallucination by the end. And he believed there was vast treasure buried at, again, Forty, the place where he was seen. At all hours, the old miser might be seen there digging in different places in spite of wind and weather. And he would often be heard muttering with someone he seemed to imagine was at his elbow. So it soon got reported that he was in league with the fiend, and he was avoided and detested by the neighbours more than ever in consequence. Now, just to um, unravel that slightly in case the, the, the Victorian language isn't too clear, but by at his elbow and talking, they, they seem to think he was talking to someone who was next to him that nobody else could see. And when they say the fiend, of course, to, to these people... The, the, you know, the God-fearing Victorian Welsh people, this was very much the devil himself. They thought that he was in league with the devil, he was talking to the devil, and presumably the devil was helping to direct him and telling him where to dig in order to find this the, the, these riches he believed were out there somewhere. Anyway, back to the story, and at last, one stormy day, a fisherman found the old man's dead body at this spot, with his spade still grasped in his hand. The discoverer ran in alarm to the nearest farmhouse to inform the people of the miser's death, and a party of men soon made their way to the spot where the fisherman had left the body. But it was gone, spade and all, and never a trace of it was seen again. So we have somebody reporting that the miser had finally died, but their body had been, well, stolen, magically disappeared, got up and walked off of its own accord. Whatever was going on, nobody knew. And sometime after that, what was stated to be the handle of the old man's spade was found in an almost inaccessible hollow of the neighbouring mountains. So it became accepted as gospel truth that the fiend, again the devil again, had carried away the miser's body over the mountains and dropped the spade in the transit. Now of course this is stretching the imagination slightly. The ghost bit you might go along with this bit is drifting more into the the old Welsh fairy tales of the devil who who was doing this kind of stuff all the time. And as as I'm sure you've picked up from listening to this podcast, because the devil does make a regular appearance. But anyway, this this story, this folktale or this real story, depending on how you want to take it, got abroad. Again and again it was verified, and the ghost of the old miser from time to time appeared to several people. And we are going to tie this in to another little bit of Welsh law here, but it was said that after appearing to these people, he served as a portent of the direst calamity to each individual who saw it. So what began 
as a straightforward ghost story has been mixed up with the diabolical deeds of the devil and now we are back into death omen territory another popular topic on this podcast and to wrap it all up shrubsall tells us that just you know to clarify he's not making this up this was the story as i received it and its truth was corroborated by many people living in the locality had it been told me before i saw the figure by the lake i should have simply thought the apparition the figment of my imagination but at the time i saw the old man i knew nothing of him or his history so i cannot account for the vision by any process of reasoning and i am driven to the conclusion as shakespeare says and again this is a very very popular quote in victorian articles dealing with the paranormal to quote this shakespeare quote and that is there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy and i agree wholeheartedly and that brings me to the end of another eerie little welsh ghost story a particularly romantic one i thought well okay it wasn't romantic at all but what do you expect i i am sure you would have been very disappointed if it was a romantic ghost story it would have been rubbish but as always if you have enjoyed that romantic tale and you would like to not miss any of the other romantic tales which are coming up there's one every week then please consider hitting the subscribe button and as always if you have any ghost stories of your own be they really romantic like that one or not romantic at all like all the good ones then please get in touch let me know i'm quite easy to find online just do a search on a search engine or on social media for mark race and put the word journalist or author in as well and you'll find me easy enough there are some other mark races out there you don't want to confuse me with the footballer or anything and we can have a chat online even if it's just to say hello and on that note it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening dioch and varion and grando i've been mark race this has been my ghosts and folklore podcast it's the best it's the beautiful it is the only Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. And I hope each and every one of you get a million Valentine's Day cards. Until next time, no star.